0: If you're gathering with us today and you missed last Sunday, we started a new series last Sunday called Worthy. And what this series is sitting in is in Revelation chapter 5, there's this display of worship in John's vision where he sees all of creation responding to Jesus. Jesus as this lion-like lamb, seated upon the throne. And we are tracking towards Easter with that vision in our minds. We're talking about worship for these next couple of weeks, and we're holding it within the Easter story. So as we walk through Lent, as we walk through Easter, as we get towards Easter Sunday, which is coming in a few weeks' time, we want to hold this picture of a God who has acted in creation, this God who has done what he has done, as we sang this morning. You know, all those songs this morning are just reinforcing this same journey we're taking. This God who has done what he has done will do what he is doing. And Easter is this moment stuck into history to tell us and show us what that looks like. And so worthy is the response. And as we talked last week, as we talked last week, all of creation in in this vision from John, responds to Jesus and says, you are worthy. And that is a big noise. That is a big noise. And it's a big noise, why? Because what he has done has been a big thing. And that's what it's meant to get us to see. I didn't say this last week, but what John is actually sort of trying to illustrate there, or what the vision is illustrating, is like what would have been happening in, in a Roman Colosseum as everyone went, Caesar, Caesar, Caesar this noise as they erupted for their their Lord. And so the same thing is happening in that vision, but it's just turned up. The dials are turned up and it's turned up because it's turned up by all of creation responding to Jesus. So welcome to our series part two today. And for part two, we're going to be looking at a couple of steps here. So this week, we're going to be looking at our lives as a response to Jesus being worthy. Next week, Donald, uh, where are you? Where are you over there? Donald's going to be speaking next week. Last year, Donald spoke, and people kept coming up to me afterwards saying, that was the best sermon that's ever been preached in this church. (laughs) So buckle in for next week, guys. No pressure there, Donald. that's going to be good. Donald's going to be speaking on, so if this week I'm speaking on our lives. Next week, Donald's going to be speaking about our songs as a response. Why, why do we sing in church? Why, what is this thing we're doing for such a big part of when we gather? Why do we sing? Why is that a response? And then the week after that is Easter, and uh, we are going to be, um, we're going to be coming on Resurrection Sunday to sit in that image of the lion-like lamb and his victory. So we're going to come to the one who is worthy, all right, so that's the journey. So today is our lives as a response. So I want to invite you to Etu and Stan and Sam, would you come? And we're going to come to today's scripture, the reading of today's scripture. Now, a bit like last week, I'm going to just cue you a little bit here. We're just learning this together and getting a bit more, um, raising our voice in this moment. But when Sam says, this is the word of God for us today, we are going to respond with praise be to God. A little practice. Praise be to God. Oh, making me a happy pastor today, Sam. So, Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is the word of God for us today. Praise be to God. Thank you. Grab a seat. So, last week, we spoke on the liturgy of the cathedral that is the shopping mall, this place of grand worship, a place where pilgrims come to offer their offerings, and equally a place that shapes our lives and our loves and our desires. And it would be really helpful to check out the podcast from last week if you missed that as we set up the series. Interestingly, um One of the brothers here in our church community sent me a text during the week. The text said this, I'm in the cathedral that is Lynn Mall, and this wall reminded me of your message. He sent me this picture. I just want you to have a look at this little picture here. There's these slogans up here, shopping is my cardio, shop in the name of love. There's this one here, where is it? Um, Maybe you have to zoom in to see it. Where is it? Oh, it's the blue heart there. I can and I will. I can and I will. I think this is a really fascinating snapshot to remind us. Yeah, while on one level, this is just some installation by some marketing person in a shopping mall. At another level, this is the cultural water that we are swimming in every single day. Our lives are being formed in places like this, and as a result of that formation, our imaginations are being formed. They're being filled with images of the good life, and it's slogans like this and places like this that are doing pieces of the formation. I want us just to think a little bit more about our imaginations just for the opening part of this talk today. I want you to think about what you think about when you think about things. So for example, when I say Easter to you, what comes to mind? What are you imagining right now as I just said Easter? What's the first thing that popped in? What fills the container of that word in your imagination? What is it meaning to you? Isn't it interesting that our shopping malls take the church seasons that we have and bastardize them for their own gain in such ways? You know, for example, at the moment, we are in the church season of Easter, but we're also in the shopping season of Easter. And so if you ask any normal person what they think Easter is about, if they were removed from this context, from the church context, they'd probably say one of a couple of things. Number one, Easter eggs, Easter sales, or number two, a weekend off, a trip to the beach, a trip to the batch, I've got a little holiday to look forward to. But in the church, for 2,000 years, the church has been running to a calendar. It's been walking to a rhythm. And in that calendar, every year, significant things get revisited. Advent is one of those moments. Pentecost, another of those moments. And we find ourselves in one of them right now, Lent and Easter. Easter is one of these moments in the calendar. Why? Why does it need to be there every year? Because we literally need our imaginations refilled every year over and over again. We need to be formed yet again of the climactic scene of our faith. We need to see again what this Jesus has done and what it is all about. We need to load our imaginations up yet again. You know, contrary to cultural belief, Easter is not just about some hot cross buns or a long weekend at the beach or some chocolate eggs. Those are great symbols of a story, but they are not the whole story. Easter is about God humbly leaving glory, God entering into sin, suffering, and power in all of its ugliest of outcomes, death itself. And returning victorious in life. Easter is when God died. It is about Jesus who became a lamb that was slain. The one who took on the blemish and the fall for all of us. The one who was killed at the hands of those who were corrupted by evil power It was the most horrible and violent ways of death. You know, our our malls, our malls present this kind of Easter, which is literally marshmallows and fluffy bunnies. But the church calendar, the church calendar wants to load our imaginations up with an image of a man covered in his own blood, his own excretions, his body cut open from the whipping a crown of thorns, a mockery that was placed into his scalp with blood coming down his temples, nails pierced through his skin and his sinew, struggling to breathe as he has to lift himself up on those wounds to take his next breath, releasing himself down because he is exhausted, hanging on a Roman torture death device that was used to display this is who's in charge, this is who's in power. Don't you forget that it's Rome who rules here. God entered in. He was the lamb who was slain. And at Easter, we remember, we remember the lamb. And then Christians do a really peculiar thing. Christians say that that picture, that humiliation picture, it wasn't actually humiliation at all. It was glorious. It was glorious. It was something of a victory. And it's it's to be received as a gift. And we are to respond to this gift, not just in some sort of shallow way, but with our whole lives given, our whole lives returned in worship and in praise. We are to see this moment not as the humiliation moment of just another person on a cross, but as the turning point of history. As the moment of salvation that was enacted, as the moment of a kingdom that was inaugurated, it is the cusp of the resurrection, it is the turning point of life with God, it is the turning point for our lives. Our lives change direction at the cross. The cross is our crossroads for life lived. And so when Easter comes and goes and the shopping malls have then finished up for the season and they sell off their leftover Easter eggs cheaply and they move on to the next thing to go and make some money off, we as the followers of Jesus resume from this point, living a different moment. We do not move on so cheaply because this moment is not just some moment to move on from cheaply. This is the crescendo. This is our lamb who has Conquered. I would really like an amen. amen. <laughs> this is our lamb who has conquered. <clears throat> this is our lamb who has conquered. Amen. Thank you. Ooh, that'll preach. And everything is different because of this lamb who has conquered. That, that picture I was showing you before, that's the Moravian seal, the, the, the image of the Moravians. This was their slogan the Lamb has conquered, follow him. Everything is different because of this. And today our text that Sam read for us and that we stood and honored with our listening, it explains a little bit of how that works. So last week, last week I started off our series by talking about our worship as a response in a more sort of conceptual way. It was a bit more sort of conceptual as a talk. But today, today I'm just gonna go a little bit old school. And today, I'm just going to teach my way through our text today. I'm going to just teach my way through the pieces. I'm going to open it up a little bit more for some insight. So if you have your Bible, I'd love you to open it to Romans 12, verse 1. If you have your phone, feel free to open it, just so you can track along. You might want to take some notes. And we're going to talk about how our lives are a response, and how this scripture is one of the great scriptural pieces to show us that. So, Romans 12, verse 1. Here we go again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So, first bit here. And so, or maybe your translation says, so therefore. So when we come to a moment like that in the scriptures, it's important to realize that this is a little hinge moment. Something has gone on before that means this bit makes some sense. There's a cause and effect going on here. So we need to talk about the cause so that we can then realize what this effect is all about. Um, I could have used a bunch of things to try to summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans to you, but I, I found that this little piece from Eugene Peterson in the opening of his introduction to the message uh, chapter on, the, on, on, sorry, on Romans is really helpful. So this is what Eugene Peterson writes in the introduction to the, to the letter. He says this, the letter to the Romans is a piece of exuberant and passionate thinking. This is the glorious life of the mind enlisted in the service of God. Paul takes the well-witnessed and devoutly believed fact of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, and he thinks through its implications. How does it happen that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, world history took a new direction? And at that same time, same moment, the life of every man, woman, and child on the planet was eternally affected. What has God up to? What does it mean that Jesus saves? What's behind all this? And where is it going? Uh, a few weeks ago here, we had Baptism Sunday. We stood all our people up who were going to be baptized. And I used a little framework to explain to you what was going on that day. We used Romans chapter 6. Because in Romans chapter 6, we, we see this frame for kind of like what Romans is all about. St. Paul here speaks about how we are to have lives that have been brought into the great salvation story of what God is doing. And we do it through baptism. We have entered in, in a no-turning-back commitment... We are dying with Christ and we are rising with Christ because Christ has died and because Christ has risen. That's basically the summary of Romans 1 through to 11. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and we too are invited to the same journey, the same story. That could be the best summary, I think, to the sentiment of the first 11 chapters of Romans. We join him in this work. And so we get to chapter 12. We get to chapter 12, and we find those important words. So, therefore, or and so. And this verse is like the hinge. Taking on board all of that, we now have a response. And that's what we then spend the last third of Romans talking about. And here's how Paul summarizes it. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Because of all of that, give your bodies to God. Because of all he's done for you. What has he done for you? The Christ thing. Christ has died and risen. Now, note give your bodies. Um, we have talked about this for quite a few years now here at Central Vineyard, and we did an entire series on this idea a couple of years ago. The series was called Matter Matters, and just check it out in our archives if you went around for that. It was a series where we tackled Paul's, uh, basically his, his critique and uh, his, um, his opposite work to the dualism of the day, the Gnosticism of the day, and he, he elevated a worldview that said, actually, you are not split between body and mind, body and soul. There's not a divide there. One is not better than the other. You are a unified, dynamic whole. You are a soul. You are a fish. You are everything tied together. And you are to love God with all that you are. It's not about elevating one thing above another. It's about all of this in a dynamic reality. So Paul, yet again, I mean, he does this a lot when you start looking for it. Paul, yet again is going out out, out against dualism. He's going out against dualism, and he's saying, give your body to God. Give your body. This is not just some mental ascent. This is not just some tucked away little invisible thing. This is a display. This is an embodiment. This is an incarnation we're talking about here. Give your whole self over to pursuing God. There's no separation. Be the dynamic whole. Live it well. What Paul is saying here is that in response to what God has done in his death, burial and resurrection, the appropriate response, the appropriate response is to do the exact same thing back as God has given his body you too, you too have been invited to do the same. It weighs up, as we spoke about last week. This roaring noise that the heavens are filled with from all of creation, responding to the lamb who was slain, weighs up to what the lamb had done. And here we find the same moment yet again. Our lives given as a total response weighs up. It weighs up to what Jesus has done. It's the right response. Uh, So the next one. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. You know, it's important to note here, Paul isn't just sort of plucking this statement out of thin air. He, like all of Romans is doing, he is modeling this off, imitating Christ. And as Christ has given his body up, we too are to do the same. Christ is the archetype. We, we become the replicators. I think that's a word. I hope it's a word. I've said it now. So to use Paul's language, just to thicken this up a little bit more, I just wanna show you in Ephesians where he says a sort of similar thing. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God Paul's invitation here is become that same incarnational presence what was an inward reality for you is also meant to become an outward reality out of you it's meant to be lived out it's tactile it's earthy it's for this moment in this place in this in this moment of history and so how does that look well he sketches it out with a couple of little keywords that I just want to show you here so he uses zao, which means living. Uh, for something to be living, it's alive, which means it has a pulse. Okay, so for us to be alive, there has to be a pulse. He uses another word, hagios, which is a word holy, set apart, consecrated. We talked about this word a little bit last, week, last year when we talked about the consecrated life as part of one of our series he talks about thysia. Thysea is this word sacrifice. Sacrifice is dead. Dead is no pulse. So his method here, his method is to pluck some words that his audience would have started to know. He's using temple language. He's using language from the day. He's sketching out a picture here, a portrait, that they would have understood, whether it was from their knowledge of the Jewish temple, or even just other temples around them, and um, Greek gods and Roman gods and whatnot, they would have known what he's talking about here. You're invited to, to become set apart, consecrated, otherly, holy. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by taking something that was alive and offering it by killing it, literally putting it on an altar, dead, and offering that that it may then do its work to make you holy. Now, when it comes to his methods, he's using language that they would have known. But his message is rather interesting because do you see in here the paradox? There's a paradox here. He's putting two things that shouldn't go together, a little bit like oil and water. They don't mix. The two things are zao, something with a pulse, thysia, something with no pulse, last time i checked living and dead can't exist together you can't have those two things at one time it's binary it has to be one or the other but remember all of this is framed in that greater story of romans and we are not people of a paradox we're invited into a journey of a progress one of movement one of development in a story that Christ has started. We are those who join Christ in his death that we may then also join him in his life. This is an invitation not just to cling to your current life and work on it harder as project self, hoping to build something amazing out of your life that resembles something glorious by trying harder. This is an invitation to take an important step. And the way Jesus himself put it, it is to pick up a cross, to die, and to follow him into life. Uh, In Luke chapter 9, Jesus puts it like this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, follower is progress, follower means we're going somewhere, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's in entering that death. It's in choosing that death. It's in the giving up of our life, the laying it down, effectively saying, no pulse, that we join him in a pathway to resurrection. We become people who pick up a new life, a new life, a new way of living. We begin living the resurrection now. We begin tasting the resurrection now. And in the last verse, last part of the verse is that this is truly the way to worship Him. This is truly the way to worship God. And here we come to another moment of our imaginations and the concepts of our imaginations. Um, For many of us when we say the word worship when I say the word worship most of us think of some default pictures we think of a time of singing together we think of some songs and all of that is important and all of that is valid and all of that yes and amen and we're going to talk more about that next week as I said before that's a big part of what we're talking about here but the top shelf gold standard of worship is not just some moment it's not just a few mere moments of singing together It's all of our moments. It's our whole lives, given over, surrendered as living songs, singing a new song from a new songbook, singing the song of the kingdom each day, every day, Whether it's the verse in the morning, whether it's the chorus at lunchtime, the second verse in the afternoon, and the bridge in the evening, we are singing a new song of the kingdom with all of our moments singing a song of worship. And the rest of Romans 12, 13, and 14 go on to sketch this out. Paul gets very specific about how we can go about having ordinary, everyday lives that are lives of worship. And my little homework assignment to you today is why don't you, this week, in your own quiet time, pick up your Bibles and read Romans 12, 13, and 14 for yourself in light of what I'm talking about here today. Notice that he will talk about how we are to be people who live an embodied love and what that looks like. You'll notice how he talks about prayer that is persistent. You'll notice how he talks about hospitality that is creative. You'll notice that he talks about obedience that is sacrificial. He'll talk about generosity that is lavish. And so my recommendation would be read it and notice what he's talking about here is an everyday, ordinary life of worship. A life of worship, living the resurrection now. Don't forget the big point. All of this, all of this is because we have joined Jesus in death, died to self, and started living a new life by the Spirit, empowered to live the tastes of the resurrection now. So to Paul, we're invited to begin practicing resurrection. We are invited to start practicing resurrection. We will be resurrected one day in a future age to come, but we start practicing now, and that is worship, a life on display in that story. This framework isn't just Paul's. I'll take you to some words from Jesus in John chapter 12. Listen carefully, says Jesus. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But it, if it is buried, it sprouts and it reproduces itself many times over. And in the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it destroys, just as it is destroyed by that, that, just as it destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Notice what Jesus is framing up here. There needs to be a death and a burial to experience something of the resurrection something needs to be dead for it to resprout dietrich bonhoeffer in his absolute classic the cost of discipleship has this famous line that many of you will recognize when christ calls a man he bids him come and die when christ calls a man he bids him come and die Um, Ladies, I apologize for Dietrich's use of only male language there, but you're not excluded either. When Christ calls a person, his invitation is, come and die. We're a vineyard church, which means uh, part of our whakapapa is, uh, in America, there was a man called John Wimber. John Wimber was a famous musician in the late 50s and 60s. He actually produced The Righteous Brothers. I have a record at home of The Righteous Brothers, and I bought it because when you flip it over, it says produced by Johnny Wimber. He was a really successful musician, very talented, and was working a hard-working musician's life in Vegas, with all that comes with that. He became a Christian in 1963 a radical conversion, which even involved him taking all of his musical instruments to the dump and throwing them out. He had a radical conversion of death to self. He was humiliated not long after when to pick up some work he started cleaning out oil drums and a man came to find him to sign a massive record deal with him to come and produce a record and he was covered in oil from cleaning out these oil drums and he said, Do you want this contract? And he said, no. And he said, what happened to you, John? And he said, God's done this to me. He said, I want nothing to do with your God if this is what your God is doing. And he takes the contract and leaves. John was a radical conversion of death to self. And it was that man who started in his obedience to Christ, following Christ and writing a new song, writing a new song of resurrection. And over the years to come, through many things, who would eventually start pastoring a community of people in Yorba Linda, California, who became the vineyard. And now across the world, there's hundreds and thousands of vineyard churches like ours today gathering and meeting because of that man's choice to die to self. In his last few years, he was battling cancer, and he had a couple of moments of battling cancer and then winning, and there'd be a bit of remission But um, between one of those fights, a person came up to him one day and said to him, John, you know, you've been battling cancer. Um, Are you afraid of dying? You're afraid of dying. And John just looked at the person and said, No. John Wimber died in 1963, man. You see, the point is to John Wimber, 1963 was the day it all ended. And he was living resurrection ever since. I became a Christian when I was 14. Uh, My parents were pastoring a small church, a vineyard church. We just planted it. And there was an Auckland worship conference happening for the vineyard movement. And my mum said to me, Hey, I want to take you to Auckland for this little worship conference. I was like, Mom, I don't really want to go to Auckland for this little worship conference. She's like, it's Thursday to Friday. You could have two days off school. I was like, Mom, I'd love to go to this (laughs) worship conference. And so we go up to this little worship conference, and I was expecting kind of like a big sort of impressive thing, and we get to this little church. It was actually out in South Auckland. It was Southside Vineyard at the time, and there was two acoustic guitars on the stage, and that was it. And these two guys from America, Ryan Delmore and Scott Underwood, came and they picked up their guitars and they had like chick shirts on and, and like they looked so cool. I was just like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. I was so laid back. And they just put I remember Ryan put his guitar on and he like adjusted the microphone like that. And he just goes, Why don't we just do what we've all come here to do? Let's Let's glorify Jesus together. And he just starts playing a simple song and all these people come together, all these worship leaders and worship musicians and we just gather around and I'm like, what is this? Two guitars, two voices and a heap of heart that I'd never experienced before. And we were singing this song and the song, I still remember it, it says, I will follow you, give my life for you, I will follow you, never looking back. I will follow you, give my life for you, never looking back. And we're singing this song And I have this sudden moment. Either I mean this, or I don't. Either I'm in, or this is just lip service. Dan She died at 14 years old in 1999 in a small vineyard church in Papatauitaui. When did you die? What's your story of death? When did it all end for you? And you've been living resurrection ever since. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe actually you haven't done that. And today could be your day. I'm the worst evangelist. I'm really bad at this moment. I'm already stuffing it up. But all week I have been living with this sense of like, Dan, I want to invite people to die, to give my, to give lives over, living in a response to God, not just with words, not just with lip service, but with a yes, a yes to his invitation, an invitation, yes, to die, but to live, to pick up life, that you may practice resurrection, that the Spirit may come and do his beautiful and fruitful work in you. I want to finish today by calling us to consider our lives as a response to God. A living sacrifice. A life laid down to live the resurrection. Romans 12 again, but this time in the message. Sorry, the scripture's wrong at the bottom there. That was my late night sermon editing there last night that got through the gate. Here's what it says. This is Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. It's the same text we've been sitting in all day, just taken from the message. But I want to take you to some other words now. In closing, I want to take you to the words of our songwriters here in this church community. We sing this song a lot, But here are the words that I think are Romans 12 that we sing every time we sing this song. May we be an offering. We simply give you everything. May we be an offering. Jesus, you're worth it. May we be an offering. You know, we sing this song often and I just wanna raise today, those are dangerous words. And if they are sincere and if they are meant, those words could change your life. Words that embrace a death, yes, a laying down of life, yes. But they're also words of picking it back up again, gloriously raised in the life of Christ. Jesus inviting us to become something that we cannot become unless we lay our lives down. So today, we don't need a benediction. There is no benediction from me. The benediction is already here. May we be an offering. We have it from our songwriters. Our songwriters have put the words into our place today. We have our songwriters who have written it, and now I want to invite you to sing it. So worship team, do you want to come and join me? Come and join me, and together, too. Central Vineyard, stand with me, that we may respond today to God by singing our way into his presence together, by singing about being an offering. I'm going to make some space after we are finished just for response today as well. I think, I think there are people today and, and there is a moment here for you today to say yes to Jesus. Might be for the first time. Could be for the 100th time, but I just sense that all week this has been the nudge. This picture of people saying, "Here's my life again. Here's my life," and so we're going to pray for people at the end. We'd love to invite you forward at that moment. But do you want know if, if during the song, there's already something stirring in you that you just want to come and, and, and start to lay your life down in the midst of what we're doing? There's heaps of room here, always at the front, around our communion table, around our our place of Christ. And I just want to invite you. You can come and you can kneel and you can just start the process early. But these are dangerous words for us to sing today. Let's not sing them empty. Let's sing them engaged. Let's sing them with presence. Let's sing them with our yes.